you know, just because something is like a law doesn't mean like it's morally correct or that it's still not like unjust, right? Which is something that is still very poignant. And like, even now, I think as a society, like we're grappling with and like we don't, and I, and like a lot of people can't, I think, process even now that. everyone this is alex and this is em welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is a podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we'll be discussing the heart-pounding antebellum period drama, Underground. This short-lived series about the endeavors of desperate slaves to make a bid for their freedom kept audiences enraptured and turned many new audiences onto its home network, WGN. While slave narratives aren't uncommon, Underground took bold risks with its portrayal of slaves, slave owners, plantation life, slave catchers, and the abolitionist movement. So what do we think made this series so unique? What helped set Underground apart from its contemporaries? Stay tuned. All right, Um, so here are some critical details about Underground. The series is an American period drama, specifically the antebellum period. It was created by Misha Green and Joe Pekaski. It was released from March 9th, 2016 through May 10th, 2017 on the WGN Network for a total of two seasons and 20 episodes. The series stars Aldous Hodge as Noah, our season one protagonist and leader of a group of runaway slaves known as the Macon Seven. Journey Smollett Bell as Rosalie, our season two protagonist, also one of the Macon Seven. Alano Miller as Cato, a field slave turned overseer, who's also one of the Macon Seven. Amira Vaughn as Ernestine, head house slave, um, and she is the mother of Sam, Rosalie, and James. Jessica DeGal as Elizabeth Hawks. She is an abolitionist. And James's aunt, Vierge. Mark Blucas as John Hawks, an abolitionist lawyer, Elizabeth's husband, and Rosalie and James's uncle. Reed Diamond as Tom Macon, born Tom Hawks, but changed his name to Macon, owner of the Macon Plantation. He is John's brother and Rosalie and James's father slash owner. Uh, Christopher Maloney as August Pullman, a bounty hunter. Christopher Backus as Jeremiah Johnson, a slave catcher. Johnny Ray Gill as Sam, Ernestine's eldest son and Rosalie and James's half-brother. Adina Porter as Pearlie May, a slave who is secretly literate. Um, she is 
the preacher Moses's wife. McKelty Williamson as Moses, Pearlie Mae's husband and preacher to the slaves. He is one of the Macon Seven. Danielle Stewart as Boo, Pearlie Mae and Moses's daughter, also one of the Macon Seven. Renwick Scott as Henry, another of the Macon Seven. Theotis Crane as Zeke, the last of the Macon Seven. James Lafferty as Cal Risden. He is a U.S. Marshal and Elizabeth Hawks' ex-fiance. P.J. Marshall as Bill Meeks, the, the former Macon Plantation head overseer. Mikhail Smedley as James, Ernestine's youngest child. Brady Permenter as Bill Pullman, August's son. Jessica Nicole as Georgia Goodman, an abolitionist friend of Elizabeth's who is a white passing woman. Dewanda Wise as Clara, a slave on the Roe Plantation of season two. And last but not least, Aisha Hines as Harriet Tubman. These are our major players for the two seasons of Underground. So um, let's talk briefly about season one. Season one is 10 episodes long and they don't waste any time. Underground literally wastes no time getting right to the action. <laughs> right. So let's talk um, before we... I know. I'm always like the nerd that always wants to give. I do want to give a bit of context into the show before we we, we launch into the sort of particulars. Um, so Underground premiered on WGN America in 2016. And what makes Underground really cool, my because <laughs> I don't have another word to describe anything. <laughs> um what makes Underground really cool is that it was simultaneously, I guess, one of the bigger shows that the network had at the time. Um, it was simultaneously a critical and commercial success. Um, so WGN America was this show, was this network that uh, I think would show old episodes of like Dragnet and like chips. <laughs> and, I'm sorry. Um, every time someone mentioned Dragnet, I remember because that show was old when they were putting when they were doing it was on Syndicate in the 90s, right? <laughs> Which is why it's like what? And um, it came about, and so the the network got a new president, and they wanted to get in on this sort of golden era of television. Um, because I would say like right now we're in the era of probably like too much TV, but. In 2014, 2010, we were still sort of in this golden era of t of television, of um, lots of creators were moving from features to television to to tell more interesting stories, and the president uh, at WGN America at the time had this new vision for the network, and the his idea was like it's called WGN America. I want to tell unique American stories. Um, that are specifically American. So um, the first outing of the network was a show called Manhattan, which was a huge critical success. It was very beloved by critics, but it it lacked viewers. It was it wasn't it wasn't a commercial one. And then you had Salem, which was a a really it was basically. It was like a darker, if it's even possible, it was a darker version of uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It was like, so think like Chilling Adventures, but much scarier. 
um, if that's even possible. But like it is, it totally was, and and it it that's what Salem was. Um, it was a show about witches, and in Salem, but like had this really intense like sort of horror bent to it. In fact, like Salem would probably do better now that we're in like a big horror movement. But mm-hmm. when it came out, it was a bit like too ahead of its its time. We hate uh, that. <laughs> we hate, hate that, that for so it. much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was a commercial success. It did do well, but um, and it was on for I think about three or four seasons. Uh, and then after Salem, you had Underground, which was a commercial and a critical success. It was both, so it was a nice, big, sort of juicy hit for the network. Um, now, what makes Underground so interesting uh, as a narrative, as a slave narrative, is that uh, it really, it absolutely veers from like its sort of predecessors. I think when we tell slave narratives, like not when we like, and I think what make what differentiates Underground from like a, a Roots, right, uh, mm-hmm. or like a Twelve Years of Slave, or you know. I don't know, like pick, literally pick a slave narrative. There, there are a lot of them. Is right. that uh, when we watch these stories, most of the time, how they're constructed is like, you know, it's the plantation, uh, the masters, and then just like this unending sort of brutalization of black people, and then that's it. Like, I don't want to, and I don't want to be flipping about that, but it's just like, it's just like brutal, brutality, 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 like endless, endless sort of like horror brutalization. And it, and it just never ends. <laughs> um, that's, that's what we watch when we watch slave narratives. What made Underground different and so exciting is that it focused on, something that I think for a lot of people should have been like a no, like a no brainer, but up until this point hadn't, hadn't been, which is like, let's talk about like slave, like the slaves who like ran to freedom. And with that, you end up getting a, like, it is a slave narrative, but you end up getting this other bent to it, which is like, it becomes like an action adventure series. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. that's what makes it so exciting. <laughs> like, that's immediately what puts, um, it, it It sort of gives this sort of endless brutalization, like, a point. Not that there isn't, like, a point in those other ones, but, like, it. it I think it definitely reorients the viewer into making, um, into knowing what we we've always known, but not necessarily have been shown, which is like the slaves are the real hero of this story. Right. Um, which is not to say that they're the villains in other stories, but usually in these other slave narratives, they're like an object of pity, right? Not the hero, not the victor, but just like, Oh my God, we feel so bad for them. Like when Kunta Kente ran away and they brought him back and they chopped off his foot. The, I mean, that's real and that happened, but there's no hero in that story. There's a villain, right? The master and the the slave catchers, but he's not victorious in his story. He's not the hero in his own story. (laughs) it, It gave, I think it allowed, focusing on this aspect, I think just allowed, not necessarily like, but like it allowed the slaves to be, it allowed like a more active version 
like it allowed the slaves to be active instead of passive. Right. Um, Which is what know, we're used to. It allowed like agency. It allowed activeness. It it really like gave a, a sort of a movement uh, and it, a movement to, to otherwise sort of just sort of endless banal um, um, br- brutality. Right. Um, that's the key word. There's agency. I feel obviously slaves didn't have autonomy because of the nature of chattel slavery. Um, but these, these slaves have a lot of agency and it's what underground does that I really enjoyed is it doesn't just show the slaves who ran away is having a lot of agency and utilizing it, but it also shows the agency and ingenuity of those who stayed Absolutely. and the ways they had to mastermind, um, and, uh, and connive and, and scheme their way into safety, um, on the plantation where, where, you know, arguably it was the most dangerous place of all. Right. Right. Um, so when we come into underground, like I said, we're thrown into the thick of the action. Now, I say this all the time, but you guys know how I feel about pilots. Um, this show actually surpasses my my criteria for pilots. I want the pilot to set the tone for the show, and I want the, the pilot to um, let us know who the characters are, which this pilot does, but also does a third thing that very few shows I've watched have ever done, which is it takes you right into the motivations of each character immediately as well. Mm. We know what Noah wants. We know what Ernestine wants and we know what Cato wants. We also know what Tom Macon wants in that very first episode. Right. I mean, part of the brilliance of making this sort of like a prison break sort of story, putting it in this particular time is that uh, even till now, like these are some of the most complex, um, well-drawn, really well-rounded characters I've seen still in a minute. Um, we were talking about this, but I, I mean, I, it bears repeating, like I forgot because I hadn't revisited the show in a while, but I really did forget how good this show was. It, it truly is excellent. Um, it's definitely doing, listen, it's doing something that the other girls just aren't doing. I'm sorry, honey. Like, you know, I'm a girl. I forgot (laughs) that first, that first episode in particular, that pilot is burned into my brain. Literally. I remember watching this in real time, watching this premiere back in 2016, being like, I want to give this show a chance, but I'm tired of these typical slave narratives. I had, I think I had, just watched or was about to watch Lupita Nyong'o's portrayal as Patsy in 12 Years a Slave, which was her- so brutal. Ooh, brutal. Brutal. Um, that entire movie was brutal. I had watched Roots several times growing up, and I was just like, typical slave narrative. When I watched the pilot of Underground for the first time, I knew I was watching something different. I knew I was watching television history in the making. And I became immediately afraid of this show's cancellation because of how good it was (laughs) so like i said that we know noah ernestine tom macon and kato's motivations immediately in that first episode noah wants to run away and he's actually caught running away running through the forest in this episode 
Tom Macon, who, as I said, was born Tom Hawks and changed his name to Macon because it sounded more Southern, is a Yankee with an uh, inferiority complex who wants to make a name for himself as a Southerner and get into politics. He's adopted that new name. He's adopted the Southern accent. And he's just basically putting on airs. And the only thing more dangerous than a plantation owner is an insecure. He happens to be both. (laughs) Right. He's Um, married into, he's sort of, he's not like poor from up north, but he definitely. not poor at all. But he's, he's married into like old Southern money. He's married this woman. Like she's the one that really owns all of it, but he, he's married into it. So now he owns it. Right, right, right. Um, he has money in his own right, but because he's from up north, he has he doesn't have the land that her family has. And you know, there's a lot of there was a lot of contention between northern, northerners and southerners back then. Marrying a Yankee was like literally like marrying a foreigner <laughs> to to a lot of these people. So he's out here trying to prove his worthiness, and that comes with a host of issues. We know Ernestine's motivations, which is to keep her three children safe as safe as she possibly can. And part of the way that she does this, particularly for the welfare of her oldest son, Sam, is to pretend to be amenable to a sexual relationship with Tom Megan, because Sam is not his son. So she knows that he is more vulnerable than her other two children by him, right? Right. Um, Then we have Cato, who uh, his his motivation appears at first to be power, um, but we quickly learn his motivation is also freedom. So we're first introduced. Noah's like first the Noah's the first person we come into contact with, and he's sort of our our main protagonist. If the show quickly becomes like an ensemble uh, drama, but Noah is sort of our our main protagonist. We follow his story the most out of everybody, and Noah is a a like a, a runaway from this this plantation. Okay, so and so this is what happens: is like they make a plan. <laughs> they make a there's a plan, you guys. <laughs> like. There's a plan. A plan that Noah put into effect, by the way. It was Noah's yes. plan. Noah's, like, organizing. We're, so, basically, the slaves are like, this is bullshit. Like, slavery sucks, which, like, duh. Like, and they're like, we're not going to do this anymore. <laughs> and so, Noah, who's been, like, we sort of get the, um, we, we get the idea that, like, Noah's sort of been doing this running thing for a minute or like, but like, and this first run was essentially like a recon mission, and because during the recon, the first this first run, he figures he finally figures out this sort of drinking gourd thing, like that it's like a thing, um, and it's like directions on how to go, and so from this drinking gourd thing, they Noah puts together like this plan, and Noah's like, we're leaving. I'm done. Who's coming with me? And Henry and Zeke and Moses and Pearly Mare are like, we want to come because this shit is like, I'm not, we're not doing it. Um, right. Actually, he enlists Moses. Like, he goes to Moses and be like, I want you to come because he assumes, like everyone else assumes that Moses can read. 
And right. he doesn't know Pearly May is the one who can read. So he's like, we need Moses if we, we have any chance of making it. And we definitely need Zeke because he's the strongest slave on the plantation. And like Henry's like his best friend on the plantation. There's some illusion that he and Henry might be cousins or brothers. So he's definitely taking Henry. But everybody else is kind of up in the air, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's one of the big things. It's like everybody thinks Moses can read. It's not Moses who can read. It's Pearly May who can read. And that is that becomes extremely important later in the story. So, and before um, anyone gets on Moses about taking credit for a woman's work, understand that he he was essentially taking the risk upon himself because if it had ever been exposed that someone could read, that someone would have got hung. Right, like and he didn't want it to be his wife. Right, and that's another thing. That's something else I really like about the show is that they they always reinforce, usually verbally through characters, that like, um, like teaching a slave to read, a slave knowing how to read, is it's against the law and it's punishable by death. Right, yeah, like for both parties, for both <laughs> parties. So, and and so with that said. Let's bring in another sort of player and a player into this story, which is Tom's brother, John, who is a lawyer. Mm -hmm. He is a law, like, yeah, he's a lawyer uh, and understands the law of the time. Uh, And John is newly moved. He moves specifically to uh, Philadelphia to practice law there, right. um, not to be closer to his brother. But when he, upon his move, he does go to Georgia to the Macon Plantation to visit his brother because um, his brother hadn't seen his wife since their wedding, and he'd never seen the Macon Plantation before. Right. So he just okay. So they go like, and they get out of town because you know. His John's wife Elizabeth has recently had a miscarriage, so she right. sort of needs to. So she's trying to like you know, you know how like when you go to a different place sometimes like it can like sort of shake you out of like you know trying to break routine, trying to switch it up to not. They were doing self- rich people self care. <laughs> the rich people self care, <laughs> basically. Um, so they go. So yes, and John is like a somebody who is also a Yankee and is. Also, John, John, um, John Hawks, aka Riley Finn, aka <laughs> we Mark love it. Lucas. We love it. Um, John goes and and Elizabeth go to the plantation. So before they leave to visit his brother and see, I guess, the new place or whatever, John is approached by a black abolitionist, and he and they ask him, "Hey, like, join in on the cause." come be about that life. And he's like, girl, I don't know. Like, I want to mention this abolitionist by name. His name is William Still. And this is a real person who really existed and not a character that they made up for the show. I'm cool, like, doing this little, doing my little speech thing and, like, you know, raising awareness. <laughs> John's like, you know, I'm really raising awareness. And, like, I think I'm okay with that. And um, it's only after... Elizabeth and John go to the plantation and see everything for themselves that they that they are radicalized. Uh, they're like, you know what? This cannot continue. Like, this is not it. So, yeah, all of this happens. All of it happens in that first episode. Again, a yes, masterclass. But one of the is. things that I want to point out about their reaction to the Macon Plantation is like, 
John was already being pulled in that direction. And he actually spoke with Elizabeth about it. And she's like, nah, I'm not cool with us doing all of this um, rabble rousing um, when we're trying to have a child. Because this is dangerous work. But then we see how specifically she is radicalized when she speaks with the other Southern women. And she sees their kind of like casual cruelty um, at best. And like... um, and like direct, um, direct contribution to the culture of slavery. And this is what radicalizes her. And I have to give the credit where it's due because very few shows, series, whatever, have really tried to, um, you know, put that finger on the role that white women specifically played in keeping this, uh, this, uh, the system of slavery going and how they benefited from it. But underground does this and not just in this first episode, it consistently does this both uh, overtly and covertly throughout the narrative. Right. And, and it's, that's what makes the show. I mean, really, truly a cut above the rest. Um, uh, And they do it through the writing and also just the filmmaking. And part of the moment that she really, it, it, gets it and what makes it I guess what makes this writing really beautiful is that like we said she's just she's just miscarried she's trying to have a child and she while they're sort of talking in this sort of casual cruelty they're talking about this heat but um inside it is it's it's cool enough right and mm-hmm. the way it is cool enough is that James Ernestine's youngest son uh, and uh, the the Tom's son, right? Really, mm-hmm. honestly, Tom's youngest son. Um, not, yeah, the the master, John's brother. Uh, his youngest son sits up in the ceiling in the rafters and fans them. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this big party, and uh, so all of that information together is just like it's very it's it's very moving. And right. and she sees him, and she's distracted. In fact, Elizabeth is distracted by this child that's sitting there fanning them, and she kind of can't like understand how they also are not distracted. Right now, the James character is a great character as well. He doesn't get a lot of screen time, but every time we do see him on screen, it's poignant. He's such a well used character. So James, like you said, he is Ernestine's youngest child. He's her child with Tom Megan. But the interesting thing about James is that he's actually the same age as the master's youngest child with his wife. And they're BFFs. I use BFFs quite loosely right now. <laughs> no, I thought James is... Uh... Is James younger? Yeah, James is younger. I thought they were the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah, James is like maybe a year or two younger then? Because they appear to be I... the same age, or at least the same height. No, they're short. Uh, like, no, because James is so, like, no, only, and I know this because, like, Tom's youngest son, the, by the, by his by wife, it wife, yeah. is, um, he's 10 and James is, like, six. So the poignant thing about James <laughs> is that even though Elizabeth is, like, so put off by the fact that he's, like, fanning them at the party, James is considered by the other slaves, including his mother, to be pretty spoiled. Because at six years old, long before six, other kids his age 
whose daddy isn't the master are out here in these fields working. We've seen pictures of enslaved children carrying sacks of cotton when they're three or four years old. Like if you can walk, you can be out here in this field. Right. And in fact, that's one of one of the big sort of um, and and even now that I'm about to sort of talk about it, I'm just like, wow, like these everything in these characters are so intertwined. That's actually one of the big like overarching uh, plots that will help to drive the story in different ways. Cause like one of the things that Sam Ernestine and, and Sam and Ernestine talk about that, that they're both really afraid of um, is when James is old enough to get out into the field. Cause right now he's not, he's never been in the field. Um, and it's because he's not old enough yet. That's why. And they're all worried about it. They're all sort of like, they're all, they're all really anxious about it because of what you said, because he's spoiled because he is the playmate for the, Mm -hmm. for the boy child. And he's sort of, and he kind of, um, has been, I mean, I guess idyllic as it can be when he's a slave, but he's been living an idyllic childhood as much as possible. So they're all very, they're all really like having a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen to James when he's old enough to be put into the field. I'm sure for the most part, there's some cognitive dissonance when he has to do things like fan ladies at the parties. But for the most part, he really doesn't understand his station yet. He doesn't. Uh, and, and how, and they're, they're, you know, justifiably worried about what is going to happen when he's out here in this field because he's a boy, so he can't be a house slave. And what's going to happen when he's out there in those fields working, like literally going from zero to 100 for the first time in his life. Um, because, you know, like I said, maybe on the Macon plantation, he's too young to be on, on on those plantations. But there were many, many plantations where children much younger than him were working. Um, and he kind of is that like pet that playmate, that companion for the master and mistress's youngest, youngest son, um, or only son rather, but everybody goes out of their way to protect James. And we see Rosalie do it pretty early on. Um, she takes a fall for something that he does and she, her, right. she gets, she takes a lashing on her hands cause she's a house slave. They're not going to strip her bare, but she takes a lashing on her hands for something that James did. Like he's, he's really oblivious to what their role is in the world to do something that would bring trouble upon his family. Because what all the slaves on this show are very cognizant of is not only how their actions can affect them and their family, but the other slaves as well. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Literally it is life and death in terms of like the whim and of like the whims and emotions of like Tom and his wife. That's it. That's all that stands in between um, a hanging or, you know, extra food on the table or being able to uh, stay out of the heat. Like, it's all just moods, moods. It's like, what kind of mood are they? Are you in today? Right. And that's a perfect word to use, whims, which is why we get into one of the most interesting relationship dynamics, I feel, are, that are portrayed on the show. And that's the relationship between Tom Macon and Ernestine. Anyone who who is doesn't understand the dynamics of slavery, which is essentially that there is no consent 
in a relationship where one person is being held hostage, which is what slavery is, and the other person literally holds the key to their freedom, might read this relationship as being a consensual relationship, right? Ernestine doesn't cry, she doesn't scream, she doesn't run away. In fact, she plays a very active role in their sexual encounters, right? Mm -hmm. But she does all of this for the sole purpose of protecting her children. She does basically everything that she can to keep Tom Macon happy because understanding the dynamic, she knows that he is in charge, that he owns her by law. So it would be rather pointless for her to put up a fight and try to resist when he could have his way anyway. Pretending to be amenable to him gives her a sort of leverage. Right. And I will say Tom is like, Tom is also like every other fucking man who is like so fucking goofy. Like, oh my God. So goofy. <laughs> like, I hate him. Like, I hate him so much. Because <laughs> he's like, because there's a point where he's like, oh, we're like in love. I'm like, bitch, what? <laughs> like, are you high? Like, what is, like, who are you, sir? Like, who are you? Like, first like, of all, why the hell do you think that she would love you? You obviously don't understand Anything like he, about like, her. <laughs> right, right. He doesn't understand anything about her. He doesn't understand the concept of empathy, period. Because if you really loved her, you would give her her freedom, right? You would give her and her children their freedom, right? Right. That's the only thing that makes sense. But then later on in the same season, he proves very definitively that he doesn't even understand what love is because he kills Sam. Right. When Sam tries to run away... He kills Sam to make a point and drive home the point that he is no nonsense. And um, essentially, he kills Sam not to punish Sam, but to bolster his chances of winning an election. Right. It's definitely, it's a completely self-serving action. Um, <laughs> like, it's it's not, it's literally because, once again, like, whims. It's like your whims. It's whatever we're doing today. And it, it, it's interesting because it goes back to this whole, um, it goes back to something that you had mentioned earlier. It's, he does it to prove that like, yeah, like he's like a real Southerner because he's feeling insecure about being essentially like a Northern transplant to this like new community and this different way of life that's why he does it yeah and it's it's all in service of it's 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 completely selfish it's self-serving and it, it doesn't make any it's it's com it's so it's so sociopathic um so like even that fake southern accent is goofy as fuck and i have to point out just how fucking delusional tom macon is after he kills this woman's firstborn child he still thinks that they can have a relationship. <laughs> he like, <laughs> and like you like, it's horrible because it's like he kills Sam, and then he like, and he's like, I'm sorry, like, and he thinks that like, oh girl, I'm sorry is like enough, like to cover, to to cover like um. To, to just cover that, to cover you killing her, her firstborn son. And, and not just like a son, but like, I mean, and, and I, and I'm so glad we're talking, cause like now we get to talk about Sam, who's one of them, who's probably the purest character on this show, by the way. Like, I love Sam. 
We love Sam. And honestly, what Sam went through was sadly a byproduct of fear. He was afraid to run when Cato set the fire to the plantation. It would have been the making eight up in here. But he stayed behind and helped put out the fire, which is why he was still there in the first place. Right. And he does it. And it's interesting because it's like he does it because like... Sam is Sam is a very tragic figure, but he's also a cautionary tale. Sam is like um, Sam is what happens when you like really believe that like these white people are gonna do what they say that they're gonna do. Sam is what happens when you trust these white people too much, because this is why Sam is like a very a, it's really it's very tragic because Sam sort of Sam doesn't make peace with. Um, his life, but he, he make, I think Sam makes peace with like his particular life, like what he, like his sort of situation, like he makes peace with that. Like he makes peace, peace with the fact that he will be a slave his whole life. And he sort of is just like, let, so let me do the best with what I can do in this circumstance. But right. what like, rat like, and it's not that Sam, like, Sam doesn't really need to be radicalized. Like, he's living the life. But Sam has has and, like, does all the things that you're quote-unquote supposed to do. He is an extremely... And I think it's... I think it... Now that I'm really... Now that I'm talking about it and thinking about it, it's this is actually really brilliant. Once again, the show is so brilliant. Um, Sam is a carpenter, and he's, like, the best carpenter, Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just thinking about the fact that like Sam is a carpenter, Jesus is also like a carpenter, and like Sam is like a very pure of heart character, and I'm sure that was like intentional. Now that I'm thinking about it, but like Sam is like a carpenter, and like he's a very good one. He's like he's so good that like he gets to have like his own shop, and like the master and Tom, Master Tom, makes a profit off of what Sam sells out to other plantations, right? Sam's being African ingenuity since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of time. And um, so as Sam has been selling these pieces that he makes in the wood shop, um, Master Tom has let him keep a portion of the profits. Not all of the profits because <laughs> white people. But... Um, <laughs> Like, he, he's gotten to keep a portion of the profits since he's been doing it, which is, like, a really long time now. And Sam saves up, um, all like, I think $100. He saves up all of, he saves up all his money, all his profits to, to get to, like, $100. And, like we told you, so, as we said earlier, Sam and Ernestine both are, um, really concerned for James. Like, imminently concerned like anxious like having lots of anxiety about what's going to happen to James and but James is still very young he's six he's he's a child and so Sam saves up all this money saves up a hundred dollars which like a hundred dollars in that time is like no joke that's like a lot of fucking money um and he goes to Master Tom with this jar of a hundred dollars and he very kindly he says sir can I buy my younger brother James like, I, right. I I want to buy him. Like, please. And it's interesting. At first, Tom thinks that he's 
asks, he wants to buy his own freedom. And Tom is like, oh, you're worth five of those. <laughs> like, I'm never going to sell you. Like, which even that conversation is psychotic, right? <laughs> like, psychotic. Psychotic. Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you even talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, even that conversation, because he's like, Oh, like he like, and the way he even says it, like that actor is just like, oh, look at you, so cute, thinking that you're, that you're, you're, um, you're he like, this is a compliment. Like, yeah, he's like, oh, like five of those, like at least five, right? Least because even five. if he wasn't out in the, you know, building shit, he could be out in the field. He's very strong. He's young still. He's in his twenties, um, like late twenties, mid to late twenties, and he's healthy. Right. So he's thinking, oh, I'm going to tell him he's worth five of these and it's a compliment, but it's like, um, I already belong to me. <laughs> right. He's like, um, like I am a person of my own like autonomy and self. Um, and so, he, but no, he goes to buy James's freedom and he, uh, he's like, please, I, I want, before and there and he's trying to buy James's freedom before James has to go out into the field because they're scared. And so um it's uh he he so Tom says no. He's like no I, I'm not selling James. Like cuz and and Tom tries to like and like he does that thing that like people do cuz like he's like oh well like how would you take care of James because like once you once you buy him like he's your responsibility like I won't feed or clothe him anymore like and right. you and uh Sam was like well you know I'll use my other sort of portions of the profits that you allowed me to take care of him and like you know I, I'll make sure he doesn't get into any trouble and and like he and but basically it's all he's just like you know, Tom's like, girl, I'm not trying to hear it. Like, no, <laughs> like the answer is no. Essentially. And I mean, honestly, I could have told Sam that a hundred wasn't enough because a slave like him on the auction block, like Sam, even in his twenties, right. He's not like a little kid anymore would still pull in a good five, $600 back in the day. Cause you're, they're thinking long-term, how much work can I get out of that person? Right. James right. being a very healthy, small child is actually worth more than Sam on the market. Um, yeah, cause potentially, cause like he's, he's young, but, uh, you can get decades of work out of him, him. So it's like, he says no. And, um, and Sam is devastated, uh, cause he really thought that he would own up to like his sort of, he would be like a good, like, not like a good person, but he would be like better because something that they also talk about. We all, they also talk about how, like, um, Tom is, like, a new, like, I guess, like, the old, there was, like, there was, like, an old, ma they've been on that plantation their whole lives, but there was, like, right. an old master that was much meaner than Tom, and Tom is, by all intents and purposes, like, better, I guess, as, as I guess, as better as that situation can be. Yeah, the other master was his wife's father, Right, who he yeah. inherited and the plantation from and renamed it um, the Macon Plantation, but apparently it can always be worse. The fact that it can be worse doesn't make him a good person. But Tom is already like incredibly narcissistic, um, so 
he he'll take any laurel, laurels wherever he can get them right he's like listen right. look how good i treat y'all like aren't you happy look how good i treat you look how good i clothe you look how good i feed you um you know these slaves that are married quote unquote married obviously not legally like they're married right. by feeling only but they get to have their own little little families in their little quarters. Look how good I am. Look what a great person I am. But, you know, besides the very, very hard work, people don't really have a problem with the making plantation other than, you know, being hostage, being a slave. Um, but Tom's right hand on the field, Bill Meeks, the plantation head overseer, is a real fucking problem. <laughs> because He's he is fucking- literally every fucking uh stereotype of overseers ever and in fact glad i'm glad we can we were transferring to bill because so let's um because he is ultimately the catalyst that sends the original plan to run away into like complete banana nuts haywire so (laughs) so let's talk about that because i do want to talk about this amazing uh, the Macon, well, they who that will now be the Macon Seven. So they all formulate this plan, right? And mm-hmm. so Noah's like been into Rosalie, right? And right, ever since she tended to him after he ran away, <laughs> he ran away. Bill, who was the the head overseer, gets like really drunk one night, um, and he's like, "You and Rosalie is walking." back from the um back from like the slave quarters back to the house and he stops her and he's like you you girl and she she just sort of keeps her head down and keeps she doesn't say anything she just keeps her head down and keeps walking um and so like like you do like when any sort of crazy drunk person yells at you like a so like a normal person um and he's like oh you think you're better than me like a like a crazy drunk person and so he attempts to rape her and in this like attempted rape she like breaks a bottle and like slices his throat um and with that, she runs to know, and she's like, we got to run right now. And he's like, what do you mean we got to run right now? She's like, I killed the overseer. We have to go now. <laughs> so they run. And I was like, yeah. Rosalie, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, like, okay, so I will say the way the show framed it is actually pretty good. You know, they, they had this plan set into motion, um everything was copacetic everybody did their part including Cato. Cato had to sleep with the mistress of the house you guys he really sacrificed for that he did he sacrificed <laughs> <laughs> um um so they everybody did what they had to do but the bill meeks character is an interesting character because overseers at the time were always poor white men and this is like a really cushy gig that you could get as a poor white man overseers are incredibly similar to um prison guards today it's the same dynamic, but it's also the same personality of poor white people being uh, uh, jealous of of uh, house slaves in particular and feeling that, you know, how, why is this Negro allowed to live in the house and I'm poor? Um, there's a lot of deep-seated toxicity and just complete 
uh, lack of empathy and lack of understanding of how the system of slavery works. But Bill Meeks, even prior to getting shit-faced that night, had been shown as having a really unhealthy fixation with Rosalie, right? She really did what she had to do because if she hadn't gotten away from him, he would have absolutely raped her. And there would have been no recourse because she knows even if he is just a lowly overseer, he is still a white man. So she actually doesn't even run to Noah. She runs out of the house and Noah is, is runs into Noah and is like, we have to leave. And of course he leaves with her. He's already falling for her at this point. But I'm like, it's the taking Noah with her that fucked everybody, not just her leaving. You left the leader of the plan and you took him off the plantation with you, sis. Like, that's what fucked everybody over. He had, he had the, the, the map, for, um, you know, drawn in blood from his shirt. He knew about the drinking gourd folklore. He's the one that had rallied these slaves behind him because they weren't going to leave without Noah's leadership, right? So this is ultimately what fucks everybody. But thankfully, Cato comes through in a pinch and he becomes the new leader of the, the, the remaining five, including himself, that leave. But that that whole situation was just ugly, ugly, ugly. I don't blame Rosalie for doing what she did, but I do blame Noah for leaving with her. As we said, this plan really throws a wrench in what was going to be the original escape plan, which actually included a lot more people than just seven people. Um, but when um, Bill is injured so badly by Rosalie and Tom Macon believes that he's going to die soon, he promotes Cato to head overseer, which is a well, very Kato rare thing. Cato kills him because he's alive, right? The next day. Cato finds right. his body first. Right, right, right. Uh, um, no, they, they, they do end up tending to Bill for a little while, remember? Like, Ernestine is put in a position where she has to tend to Bill. No, man, because, like, Cato, Bill is, like, choke choking on the blood and the bottle is in his, like, in his throat and Cato finds oh, you're, oh, right, you're right you're right no 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 you're right you're right you're right cuz like Cato starts to kill him and then somebody walks in and he's like oh hell I'm not even gonna lie like 10 10 I would have done exactly what Cato did I would have probably just done it faster <laughs> so no like you're right you're right you're right like I'm sorry like now I'm remembering yeah you're right in true Cato does what basically Cato in true Cato fashion Cato looks at him he's like ugh and like Cato starts to suffocate him to like finish the job and then somebody walks in and then Cato like makes it look like he was trying to save him <laughs> And he's like, help, someone get help. Somebody's been injured. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Like, so then Ernestine has to tend to her, 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 the man who was trying to sexually assault her daughter and figure out how the fuck she's going to get herself out of this situation because now her, her daughter is wanted and we know what people do to runaways. Um, and Cato's promoted. Head overseer was a very rare position for a slave to be in. Overseer, yes, there were a lot of black overseers, but head overseer, very rare. So so he actually takes the position and he plays... Okay, let's talk about playing your role. People who played their position perfectly, that award goes to Ernestine and Cato. They played their respective positions flawlessly so that people could never question them. These white people were never like afraid of them, never questioning them, never fearful of, of them. He 
he his first day on the job and he's already being an asshole. But Tom does something that he really shouldn't have done. When he gives Cato this promotion, he gives him like a jug of wine, um, like like a con- congratulatory gift. And as Cato's walking around the plantation, he's spilling the wine throughout the fields, right? Like he's spilling it throughout the fields, like as he makes his round. And that's a big plantation as overseer. He has to make his rounds through the and through the length of it, right? Mm-hmm. All the rows, all the columns, all, the entire perimeter spilling. And the only person who catches this is Zeke. Um, but of course, you know, he like chastises Zeke and Zeke doesn't ask any questions. And then later that night, he rallies the people who were going to leave Anoa, and then he does probably like it's the most epic scene you guys he sets the plantation on fire like which i feel like it's like if you're going to escape from a plantation especially when when everybody is on like high alert because there's already been recent it's like the most brilliant way that you can like peace out (laughs) that's true because like in the like because you can leave in the chaos and no one's because everyone's going to be concentrated with putting out the fire right and it's like there are two sets of property now to be contained. Like, do you want to save your property or do you want to save your property? Because this property can run, but that property is standing still and it's ablaze right now. And you're not going to replant the seeds. So what you going to (laughs) do? Yeah. It's like time to make some decisions. Um, (laughs) yeah. And so in this big flame, like they, they, they go and, how do they all eventually meet back up with each other? Because, like, then... Because Noah's like, oh, we got to go back for everybody else. And Rosalie's like, we're doing what? <laughs> like, Yeah, I was really side-eyeing her when she tried to... When she tried to to discourage her from going back. Because I'm like, bitch, you thought. <laughs> I, I know, I was like, bitch, you thought. Like, we're, we're dying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, the least you can do is go back. Like, she knows... She knows... And everybody knows Noah's relationship with Henry. He knows he can't leave that boy on the plantation. And he gave Zeke and Moses his word, even Cato, his word, right? Cato's the reason he even has that gun. So um, when the overseer comes to, by the way, he already, he managed to tell Tom that Rosalie's the one who stabbed him. So that's another wrench. She's not just wanted for being a runaway. Now she's def- probably most definitely going to get hung by just the state law for attempted murder. So there's that. <laughs> right, yeah. But they meet on the halfway ground. Essentially, when 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 Noah and Rosalie run away, she actually proves herself to be quite useful by poisoning some of the dogs that were chasing after them. Right. So he realizes like she's not a dead weight. If I want to go back for the others, I can. So he meets up with the others as they're leaving the Macon plantation. So now it's Noah, Zeke, Rosalie, Cato, Henry, and um, Boo. They're all together. And um, they're running. They're being pursued by August, who is a bounty hunter. We meet August in the pilot also. Brilliant, brilliant character introduction. We think August is a good person and he lets a slave woman um, stay in his house, but then he himself turns her over to the catchers for the bounty, right? To pay right. for the treatment of his wife who is in a sanatorium. She has mental health issues. So 
The slave catchers are after them. August Pullman is after them for the bounty. He doesn't want to call himself a slave catcher, right? He's a bounty hunter. But it's essentially the same in this day and age. And they're running, and they manage to catch a train headed north. And all of this is happening right now. They are a bunch of slaves on a train. There is no white woman in sight who can vouch for them and say, these are my slaves. No white woman, no white passing woman. They are in an incredibly dangerous situation right now. (laughs) And then once they get off the train, the group splits up to get away from the catchers. Boo, Moses, and Rosalie go in one direction. Cato and Zeke go another direction. Uh, Henry and Noah go in a third direction. And the slaves end up catching up to Cato and Zeke at the river. And then Cato, in true Cato fashion, shows us he's not really here for anybody but Cato. (laughs) Cato is all about Cato. (laughs) He essentially sacrifices Zeke to slow down the catchers. And Zeke being the badass that he is, because he wasn't known as the strongest slave on the plantation for nothing, despite serious injury, still managed to kill all of the slave catchers that were after him and Cato before right. he dies. Before like he a dies. real one. Like a real one. Ancestors, y'all gotta give put him in a mansion in the afterlife, please. For real. <laughs> um yeah, and and it, and it's interesting and the character dynamics uh, between all of them are are so fascinating and so so rich. Like we're not I I can't stress this enough. You have to watch this show because just there's so much that through all this sort of action and adventure that's happening and heart pumping and, and heart stopping, that's there's so much like really weighty, heavy, like emotional shit that comes through um, as well. Like when they're running away, they all get on like this boat. They like, they try to steal this boat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, August is sort of on their tail and they throw and during in in the fight, like Rosalie gets thrown from the boat into the river, and at first they're like, "Oh no!" Like Rosalie can't swim. It turns out Rosalie can swim, um, and she does swim back to the boat. And they shoot August, and it, it delays him. But when they then have this conversation about how did you learn to swim, she talks about how like master Tom taught her how to swim. And like, just that information is so like, it's so fucking heavy. Like it's just heavy. Cause like, just like the weight of that, it's like in journey small, it's really great. Like she, she plays it with all that sort of emotional weight too, because it's like, you're a slave, but like, and it's like your dad, but like, he doesn't really think of you as like his child, but then like, he kind of does, and like because he does all this sort of like you know your your parents teach you how to swim like they buy you your first bike or whatever like your horse and like they treat you like your children but you're not their children because then they can sell you at any moment and just all the sort of like really mind fucking like heavy shit that like i'm like people like went through like it's it's really it's great it's it's and it's so intense Right, right, right. And that's like a whole thing too. Like these dynamics of these half siblings, these slaves that are half siblings, um, or children of 
of of plantation owners is another dynamic that's really well explored on underground we learn we learned later this season that she also learned to play piano by watching her half sister tom macon's oldest daughter play piano right mm-hmm. um and we know that he taught her and her sister to swim at the same time we even learned later that pearly may is half sister to tom macon's wife susanna like they have the same father. It's interesting too, uh, that dynamic because she never acknowledges it. No one ever talks about it until she tries to get Proly made to sell everybody out. <laughs> right. That's, <laughs> right. So let's talk about that. That's a really, because it does have ramifications, I think, in the second season. They're all running, right? And Pearly May's daughter, Boo, is with them and they're all running and like and we said Moses, her, her husband and, po- and Moses her husband um obviously because somebody somebody's that child's parents when I tell you like I was really stressed out for boo like the whole se- like season one like that was really where most of my stress went to like I was like where is this child <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shout out to Rosalie. She really never left Boo's side if she could help it. Because she's like, that child's mother is not here. There's uh, Some woman needs to be looking after her. Based, so they all run away, right? And Tom goes to his wife and he pleads. He's like, listen, everybody thinks I'm a fucking joke. Like, seven of them have run away. Um, I, You've got to, you got to help me. Like, talk to um, Pearly May and see if you can't do so like see if something cannot be done and i do want to make it clear like they don't choose to talk to pearly may first the first they decide to like hang like almost like let her like die of exposure um that's the first thing they do they they beat her brutally and then they leave her to die of exposure in the sun and then after all of that for several days um, I think not even several. It's like, I think the the show codes is like weeks. They do that for weeks. Then they're like, okay, you and Boo can like go as long as you say like where the others can go. And she presents Pearly May with, and like we said, Pearly May can actually read. And this is this is how this becomes important. She presents Pearly May with two papers of freedom. Um, signed and by the master with his by, signed by Tom with his seal on them as well, and there are papers detailing that uh, Pearly May and Boo are both, and so that's it. Like that's the golden ticket. Like it's done. Like, and all she has to do is like say where the others are. Um, and you and I sort of talked about this a bit before, but like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it again now. It's like, like, that's it. Like, that's the Charlie Chocolate Factory. You own the factory now. Like, you are Willy Wonka. Take it to, to everything. It's everything. Because, uh, those tickets, like, like, those passes are everything. She could go up north. She could leave the United States. She could go to Canada. It doesn't matter. Like, it's it's a little ticket. To, it's a golden ticket to freedom. She could go up north. She could go west. She could get a job. She could, like, she could get employment. She could go get housing. And all those papers that says she's free. Like, the world, I mean, obviously, yes, there are still, like, huge limitations, but, like, the world is, like, open like she could it's it's everything and so 
Pearly May is really like, like, and so that's when Ernestine comes to talk to her and try to convince her not to sell them out. And Ernestine is like, and Pearly May is like, well, you know, I empathize with you and everything, but this is it. Like, I, you know, I love Rosalie. Shout out to her. But like, I think I'm going to do this. And that's when Ernestine poisons her and kills her so that nobody will know where they went to. And it's, and I'm sort of saying it in a really flippant way, but it is like, it's so difficult. It's so difficult because both women are sort of in the right. Like they're both, you can both sort of really understand where each of them are are coming from. And so for Ernestine to like take that action and like, and kill her for something that Ernestine probably would have done herself. Cause I'm sure if somebody wrote Ernestine papers for Rosa for herself and Rosalie and James and Sam, like there's not, there's no power on this earth. Like she'd be like, well, it's been real for y'all. Like, sorry about it. This has been fun, but I'm out. Good luck with the slavery shit. It sucks. Like, so it's it's devastating, but it's it's beautiful and it's haunting and 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 it's so good. It's just so good. Yeah, so I saw that scene quite differently. I know why Pearlie Mae did what she did, um, and why Ernestine did what she did. By the way, when she kills Pearlie Mae, you guys, she makes it look like a suicide. Like she poisons her and then she slits her wrists to make it look like she committed suicide. The reason why I don't vibe with what Pearly May did, despite her being able to read and saying the papers are legit, is because at the end of the day, there's they're just papers. I want to talk very briefly about T.R. Macon, Tom Macon's only son from his wife, and quote-unquote James's best friend. So T.R.'s relationship with James is really like a really fucked up dynamic because they're playmates now and it's young and they're cute. Um, but we know that James is going to be out in these fields any day now. And TR, even at this moment, is is uh, one of his masters, right? So James gets put out in the field after the escape of the Macon 7. And he does well enough. He's got blisters and calluses for the first time. And he kind of has this rude awakening, right? Now he really understands what slavery is. Because his mom never really told him before. Um, and so... TR now after like James has been out in the fields for like 12 hours or whatever, you know, comes to talk with him afterward, asking if he wants to play, if he wants some candy, da da da, this, that, and the third. And James is like, nah, I'm good because how can you have the same relationship now, right? And he promises to release James when he becomes owner of the Macon plantation. All that's well and dandy, but James isn't really feeling it right now. And he's just like, you know, he wants to be alone. He wants to process this new life. And so um, TR, um, in a fit of rage, like he's the victim here, goes to rat to his daddy that he saw Sam escaping. Like, what the hell? Like, if that's your friend, why did you just sell out his brother? Right. It speaks to, like, how just, like, interconnected everybody is and how, like, everybody just sort of knows the things that will hurt the other. And it's it's even doubly fucked up when, like I said um, earlier, Tom lynches 
uh, Sam the very next episode. And he does so, he doesn't just kill him. He lynches him publicly at a party during his bid for senator. It's crazy. And he then tries to shift the blame to his own brother. Like, well, you're just as bad because you're not supporting me, but you didn't stop me either. Like, what? <sighs> right. <laughs> like, how was he supposed to stop you, sir? He knows what the laws are. Like, right. literally, he can't, he can't stop you from hanging your own slave. Right. Right. And, yeah, all that, and it's, all that is so, like, weighty because it's, like, it's sort of then, it's, like, it, it sort of then brings up this question of, um, you know, just because something is, like, a law doesn't mean, like, it's morally correct or that it's still not, like, unjust, right? Which is something that is still very poignant. And, like, even now, I think, as a society, like, we're grappling with and, like, we don't... And, I and like, a lot of people can't, I think, process even now that just because something is a law does not mean that that law is correct or moral or just in any way. Um, it just means it's there. Um, and that I think can really fuck with a lot of people mentally, like that idea. Right. Right. And we definitely see that John is between a rock and a hard place right now. He doesn't support his brother, but, um, he can't, you know, Tom's like, you're just as bad cause he didn't stop me. But like, you know, he can't stop you. Right. You, you hung your slave publicly at a party um, with your constituents and contemporaries because it was legal to do so. So how was he supposed to stop you? Um, but this really brings to a head Ernestine's relationship with Tom because although she tried to, like I said, put on a front like she was amenable to their sexual relationship, she has two children by him, she is his head house slave, you can only pretend to an extent, right? I can only pretend to the extent that you don't kill my child, for instance. Once he crosses that line and he doesn't just cripple Sam, which is what she wanted him to do, right? She's like, I know you have to punish Sam, just cripple him. He couldn't bring himself to do it. But after one conversation about how he might lose the Senate race, he decides to kill him. When he decides to do this to Sam and he kills her, he, she, she has to watch with everybody else while he kills her son. Um, she just like all the, the gloves come off essentially. She's just like, I know I still have James to take care of, but you know what? Fuck it. Rosalie ran away. Sam is dead. She, she kills Tom Megan. And like, I'm not even mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Right. At and all. that's <laughs> right. And so that's, that's actually how the season ends. So season ends. So the season one ends with Tom, gets got like Ernestine gets Tom she kills him and makes it look like a suicide um no, Rose, she, she hangs him yeah she hangs him and she makes it look like he killed himself okay I didn't I don't know if she was going for suicide because later after that like his wife knows that she did it remember like his wife is like she killed my husband I mean, the wife knows, but, like, he, she makes it look like a suicide. Like, she she hangs him, but then, like, she makes sure there's, like, a chair that's dropped underneath his feet. So it looks like he killed himself. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Um, And the wife doesn't do anything because she wants to, like, exact her own revenge. Like, and in a sense, the wife herself is, like, free. Because now she gets to inherit all the property. 
Right. And when she does catch up with Ernestine finally, like, and this is in season two, she straight up tells her, like, I'm not even mad that you killed him. I'm mad because, like, my children have more affection than you than they do for me, essentially, is what she says. But it's like, but it's like, honey, you could have solved that. Right. And it's like, honey, you could have solved that by raising your own damn kids. Right. And so and this is how <laughs> this is this is how the season ends. So she ends it by sort of saying she knows that she killed uh she knows that Ernestine killed Tom, but she's not gonna tell anybody because it's like she doesn't need like the the drama that comes with that, I guess. And so she instead her revenge is to sell Ernestine, which she does, and keep James, and then she raises James as her own son. Um, and she says my, and she said, and I think she says like, James will never know that like you were his mother and he'll never love you and understand all the things you did. Like he'll, you'll have to live forever knowing that James calls me and thinks of me as like mother. Um, and that's how she exacts her revenge. Uh, they all get to free. Well, no, uh, Noah gets got. Uh, because he sacrifices, but Rosalie and Boo, thank and, God. And he- Henry, unfortunately, died prior to that. He sacrificed himself to save Noah. Boo and Rosalie get to freedom. Thank God. <laughs> Some This yeah. child gets to freedom, uh, even though Moses dies. Um, and Cato finds a suitcase full of money, you guys. <laughs> he does. He finds a suitcase full of money. He gets stupid rich. God, um, God is real. God got his favorites and he's a favorite for real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and that's how we end season one. Underground is like riveting from start to finish. This first season was epically good. What do you think? Good, bad, or basic? Same. I th- It's excellent. There's just so much that's going on in this season that's so good. It's, it's very nuanced. As much as, like, we're sort of talking about, like, all the crazy shit and, like, the action-adventure stuff, like, it's incredibly nuanced. These characters are very complete. You sort of kind of get where everybody's coming from. Um, Really great portrayals by these actors, particularly the actor who plays Sam. Uh, That actor who plays Sam is so great. Um, I had Johnny Ray Gill. Hire him, you guys. Johnny Ray Gill, hire him. He hasn't really been in a lot of stuff post underground, but hire him. He's very wonderful. He um and he was so good on this series. He has these like big brown doe eyes that are so um loving and innocent and pure in a way that I think is hard to find in uh male actors a lot. Um so and but he has them in uh so great. I, I can't say uh enough good things about this this season yeah adina may's portrayal of pearly may was also like really really strong for me um i really loved and this isn't a character we saw often but he was like a a, a, a definitely driving the narrative in a major way um christopher maloney's portrayal of august pullman i thought were really strong performances and of course amira vaughn as ernestine i thought was excellent She's excellent right. in everything I've ever seen her in. Yeah, I mean, um, this this role um, really helped launch her career, I think, in a big way. Uh, she, It's not a surprise to me that she ended up on, like, every show, like, after <laughs> Underground. Yeah, um, she's been on How to Get Away with Murder. She's going to be on the next season of uh, Green... Uh, 
no, Queen Sugar. So yeah. she's so, doing yeah. really, really well for herself. And we all, we all, I was the only actors I was already familiar with were Journey Smollett Bell and, of course, Michael T. Williamson. Um, as I remember him from Forrest Gump. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of talent in this cast, like literally overflowing with it. Um, and we meet more of this talent in season two. Season two was also 10 episodes long. And it was very clear going into season two that they they thought they were going to have another season on their hands. And we kind of feel a little bit of a rush to finish in the last two episodes of season two. Did you get that impression as well? I did. Um, so we come in. It's five months after um, they uh, have escaped north. Uh, another slave who is teaching himself to read, not one of the Macon Seven, not any way connected to Tom Macon. Um, Rosalie is helping Harriet Tubman. Noah is on trial for murder. <laughs> murder, you guys. It's it's uh, John is is his lawyer. Um, he's pleading for him not to be executed up north, but to be extricated back to the south, basically helping Noah the best way he knows how by returning him to the Macon plantation to save his life, right? In the hopes that Susanna Macon won't kill him and will just continue to use him as a slave since he is, again, still very young and healthy and strong. It's it's one of those situations where, like, he's literally arguing for Noah to be re-enslaved. That's the best you can do. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about how these laws were on paper, but that doesn't make them right. right? <laughs> like, it doesn't make it right. right if I'm trying to defend someone of murder and my recourse is, well, like, he's still a slave, you guys. Just let him be a slave. What? Right. Right. <laughs> when you're like, you can't just, like, execute someone's property. Like, uh. Right, right. Like, he's very valuable. He's worth, like, $800 to Susan. And like, if you, ha- if you kill him, you're essentially stealing from the mistress of that, of that plantation. Like, sir, what? <laughs> but that's what, that's a literal defense that he had to use in court, you guys. Um, now, um, we get introduced to the Roe Plantation, which is where Ernestine has been sold to. And it matters that it's in South Carolina, by the way. One of the reasons why is because a lot of the, uh, is because um, we're introduced to the aspect of hoodoo that some of these slaves are practicing. Right, and it's like Gullah Ge- and like the Gullah Geechee uh, people, and how, and also just like it's a different type of, um, it's a different type of plantation life. That was actually something I I appreciated about this second season is how, um, it's brutal, but like it's also different. Uh, it's interesting, and in the like in season one, there Ernestine makes like a she has a line about how she used to be jealous of slaves in the field because at least like in the field, they could find some sort of like autonomy to themselves. Mm. Um, and, uh, it matters that like, I guess like in the Carolinas, that was actually a thing. Um, uh, because of like the nature of the work, which was like growing rice, and like mo- they were mostly like rice plantations, which we see them doing in this, like in this, I think opener in the season opener. Um, the Gullah Geechee people did get to like be to themselves a lot, which is why they got to, which is why they, uh, out of like everyone, like got to retain 
the most of like their African heritage from where they were taken. Right. Back on the Macon plantation, everybody was a Christian. Um, there's actually a really great episode where uh, a to baptize all the slaves at the Macon plantation, right? And right. he comes to baptize Ernestine and he's aware of her relationship with Tom Macon and he's aware that Rosalie and James are Tom's children. But in typical um, conservative Christian male fashion, instead of uh, chastising Tom Macon for sleeping with a slave, sleeping with a black woman, sleeping with his property, cheating on his wife, having children out of wedlock, take your pick. He puts the blame on Ernestine for being a Jezebel who seduced Tom. And right. he looked like he was trying to drown her during that baptism. <laughs> like, no shade. Like, high key, it looked like he was trying to drown her. Um, and I think she felt that, too. And then, you know, juxtapose that with the Roe Plantation, where they're just like, they don't really care what these slaves do as long as they put on Christian airs in public or when company's around. Right, because it sort of bolsters, like, the reputation of the master, right? If it's like, oh, you've, like, converted these godless heathens or whatever. Right, right. So the rope plantation is something very different. And these slaves have a lot of uh, autonomy, not just agency, but, like, real autonomy, you know, after their work hours. They've got bonfires. They've got ritual ceremonies. Uh, they throw themselves little parties. Um it's all good and well, but Ernestine's suffering. Sam is dead. She might never see her other two children again, right? And so she becomes a substance abuser. She is, listen, and you know what? I'm not even mad at her. You do that, you know? Right, Honestly, like sometimes you deserve like, to get shit-faced. Like, you earned it, sis. <laughs> she's just sort of like, I don't know, I'm high and I'm, like, planting rice. That's just what I'm doing right now. <laughs> like, Right. Um, I'm like, is she doing her job? Then leave that lady alone. <laughs> like, this is this is it. This is what I'm doing. So thanks. Uh, yeah, and she and the ghosts of past come to haunt her. She starts really, she starts being haunted um, in a very significant way by by you know the ghosts of in her mind. It was at least um, by of Pearly May and and Sam and and these people that she. I guess felt like she could have done more to protect or she didn't do right by AKA Pearly May and, and how that has all affected her and her psyche now. Honestly, guilt would probably been the last thing I would have felt over Pearly May. I probably would have felt really guilty over Sam. Like I feel like every parent feels guilty when they can't protect their children. Right. But you know, when it all came down to it, um, Tom Macon wasn't shit, girl. Don't feel bad. But being away from her children, knowing that she'll probably never see them again, because um, she knows where James is, but he doesn't know where she is, and nobody knows where Rosalie is, right? So, like, there's no hope anymore for her. And this is it. Like, she, she's been hanging on by hope, trying to keep her children safe all these years. And now that that's no longer a concern, she's just, like, she's really in fuck it mode. Yeah, there's nothing really to, to like, anchor her to life anymore. It's all kind of gone. We do, it is interesting, there is some interesting stuff that we learn. We learn through, like, a series of flashbacks that, like, her first husband died from lashings. Just just blood loss, either blood loss or, or just complications. Blood loss, most likely. Yeah, either blood loss or infections. They never really cleared up. But he got a real terrible beating and he died. And he died. 
but she lost him and in these flashbacks and this beautiful almost dreamlike sequence because she dreams about him every time she gets high which is probably why she keeps getting high because it's clearly like it's clear it showcased me very clearly the best time of her life she right. was in love with this man. He was in love with her. They were expecting their first child together. It was the best that you could hope for being a slave. Right. Um, and that was taken away from her. You know, looking back on season one, she loves Sam and she cares about him deeply, but she can't really spend any time with him. He's not one of Tom's children. Um, he's out here be- doing his carpentry things. She's the head house slave. They're kept apart physically and, and socially in a very real way. And he actually says that, that like, you know, he points this out in season one where he feels that she doesn't love him or that she mm. loves Rosalie and James more than him. But it's like, she's just playing her position, sir. She's doing what she has to do to keep you alive. Cause see, you might've gotten hung sooner if Tom Macon feels that like your oldest son is a distraction, right? Or like, or he could have been sold, right? Like he could right. have been sold, like because he is valuable within and of himself in terms of his carpentry and and um, of that. But he could have been sold sooner. Um, right. And she didn't want that. She was like, okay, even if I can only see him for like thirty minutes a day every day, at least I know he's here. Right, and you know, and as and um. And while in this row, the row plantation, she's Ernestine's also in this incredibly toxic and dysfunctional relationship. She's she's got a new man, but it's it's not good. That's also like a disaster. Yeah, first of all, he's the one that got her hooked on that smack. First of all, <laughs> and secondly, he's in a he. It's a kind of like a a, a toxic little throuple because there's another slave named Clara, played by Dewanda Wise, who is in the situation as well. Clara gets pregnant. They're shaming her for getting pregnant out of wedlock. And I'm like, how does that work? She's a slave. It's going to be out of wedlock regardless. Because there's no way that she can legally be married, right? <laughs> well, I guess, um, like... No, well, I guess if, like, they have their own, like, rituals of, within themselves in that community of getting married, right? Like, even if right. it's just jumping the broom, right? Like, right, but like right. she grown, y'all. Let her be. Like, why are y'all being toxic? Isn't life hard enough? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I guess that's like, and I, and I can understand how, like, if you're in a situation where you don't have any control, how it can feel like you do have some control, like, in, in, like when you can, I guess, chastise other people. Like, you know what I mean. Like, you're mm-hmm. in a situation where you can't do anything, but, like, there is this microcosm of a community that you can, like, fo- focus on and be hyper-focused. Right. Right? And so, like, and the things that you do among yourselves, like, matter. So, like, it- it's a way to exercise some form of something, but, like, ultimately it still breeds toxicity because of, like, this larger issue, if that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. And I guess I'm seeking the, from the perspectives of someone who's never been any someone's property. And I never had to create that sort of community or specifically that sense or that, you know, cosplaying uh, my own uh, religion or my own government within the arena of slavery, right? But like, my whole thing is like, aren't y'all suffering enough? Like, why are we replicating systems of 
toxicity and oppression as well within us. Um, like if I'm going to create this type of community with among us, I would want it to replicate as much freedom or at least the illusion of freedom as we could possibly have, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but girl, that's just me. Again, I'm speaking from a place of extreme privilege. I was born in 1985, not 1785. That makes a difference. Um, because <laughs> um, this show is, is was uh, I think it opens in 1857. Um, but she's dealing with the aftermath of of losing this baby. Clara is. Ernestine attempts suicide but she's saved by the other slaves who won't let her kill herself. Rosalie is pregnant. So now she's got it. She's taking enormous, even more risks than she was before. Um, um, and it's, it's, it's really, really complicated. And we see how things like pregnancy complicates the slaves lives and existence. We see how things like just having children, for example, compromise Ernestine and have her continue to compromise herself in a relationship with Tom Macon to keep her kids safe. Right. Right. We see how just the physically being pregnant can compromise your attempts to get freedom. Um, we see how babies who don't know what slavery is or that they are a slave aren't going to care that you're being chased. They're going to cry when they're hungry and they're going to cry when they need their diapers changed. Like it's, it's an, it's an extremely tentative situation when you're dealing with someone who is that young and that helpless. Um, so that the whole season is just about abolitionist work, the work being done by Rosalie, the work being done by Elizabeth, but ultimately Rosalie does get recaptured and she is big and pregnant and Susanna Macon tells her straight up, girl, I'm glad they brought you back because that's my property in there. And girl, I probably would have lost my shit. She would have caught these hands for calling my unborn child her property. Mm. Uh, she Yeah, and she gets recaptured because she's she's sort of doing she becomes like a like a freedom like guide. Right. Yeah. She starts working with Harry on the Underground Railroad. Right. Um, so like, girl, that's risky. They call her the black rose and, um, she's doing all of that work and she doesn't stop doing it when she's pregnant. So, um, August, who was like the most in- pursuant upon her catches up to her and eventually brings her back to the Macon plantation. She could have got away with it too. She could have got away from him again, but she was very pregnant at this point. She's like in her third trimester or something. Yeah. She's, um, she's super pregnant. He's very, very pregnant. Meanwhile, Cato got himself a bag of money. Um, and he played he played his cards right. Like he played his position well. He's just out here living his best freedman life. Um, but he also um teamed up with other slave catchers for the sole purpose of trying to reunite with the Macon Seven, specifically Rosalie. Like if I can find them and quote unquote catch them, then I can help them. He, he like wants to help them, like legitimately help them or. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to legitimately help them. But along the way, he's not opposed to, um, getting other slaves, like sending other slaves back to their plantations and getting that money. Yeah. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
yeah, he's just like, okay, these are my people. We, we've been through some shit together. And he knows how, you know, Rosalie and Noah essentially saved his life. So I feel like from that perspective, it might make sense because he might feel indebted to them. But he's not really here for anybody else. And he makes that clear when he he's literally becomes a black slave catcher. Um, Kato Kate really falls in a big way morally this season. <laughs> like, fam, what I mean, are you even he- doing? I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, from the beginning, he's been so ambiguous. Like, his morals are so ambiguous. Like, he's so ambiguous. But he Um, never did anything that you felt like he didn't have to do. Like, he had to sleep with Susanna Macon to distract her long enough for Noah to get the gun. And maybe a case could be made that he had to uh, shoot Zeke in the leg because if he didn't do it and slow Zeke down, they both would have been caught, right? But, like, you have money now. You don't have to go out catching other slaves and bringing them back to slavery. What are you doing? But, like, another villain that we meet, I think, in season two is Patty Cannon, um, who was a real person and, like, also, like, another, like, notorious uh, slave catcher and very sadistic, very, like, crazy. I don't think the show makes her out as to be as crazy as she was though because she was very crazy right well one of the things the show does though is that they tell you like the real patty cannon was a person but then like came away with patty cannon and he basically replaces her with an actress (laughs) who's going around telling people that she's patty cannon and that she's the leader of this group of slave catchers but cato her right hand man is really the person in charge so that's how he plays that situation off right so because he knows like he can't be the leader if he's a leader it looks suspicious and one thing cato's always been good at is playing his damn position um the situation at the Roe plantation is also really interesting because they essentially give Clara something that will cause a miscarriage to the baby that she wanted. They basically force her to abort her baby. And Ernestine partakes in this. In a way to try to make up with her, Ernestine realizes that the master of the house is kind of hot for Clara. So she basically teaches her how to seduce that man and get herself in the big house. But Clara is still pissed at Ernestine about you know, forcing that abortion on her. So when she does get into that big house, she um, convinces the master to like punish Ernestine. But Ernestine bribed the captain of a boat to take her off the island and unfortunately gets caught by August. So Ernestine was literally going through it, you guys, from like the middle of season Two, from the moment Rosalie ran away, Ernestine's been going through it emotionally, physically, psychologically. She's been going through it. This scene was just crazy, though, because when she's talking to Clara prior to leaving leaving on the boat and she's trying to teach uh, Clara how to pull this man... She they they reveal even more of the dynamics among the slaves. She where Clara, who is dark skinned, she's played by Dewanda Wise, tells Ernestine like, "I can't do that. I don't look like you." Because Ernestine's clearly biracial, and she's like, "Uh, how do you think I got here? My mom looked just like you." Mm, you know right. like obviously they're attracted to women who look like you. So play your position, sis. And mm. um, 
um, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, in the span of like a couple episodes, Claire goes from being out here in these fields to being dressed all in white, sitting up in this man's big house. Uh, yes, she's a slave. Yes, her situation is very, very, very tenuous still. But she was able to climb that social ladder, so to speak. And the same way that Ernestine and Rosalie were on a, a kind of a social, a higher social ladder. It's a very precarious position. You can be knocked off that pedestal at any time, but until you are, you have a position of great influence. Yeah, it's difficult. It's interesting. There have been like, there, there are criticisms of like the show in regards to colorism and I was, I really like rewatched like for that, trying to like find it. Uh, and I think you could make a case. Um, Cause ultimately, I guess the, the main women who the main, the women, the main women of the story who occupy like mo- most of the narrative. And I guess most of the interesting narrative uh, beyond Harriet, like are, Rosalie and Ernestine and that sucks um so that's I think that's a fair that's a fair criticism but yeah um and that's fair I think it's a fair one fix it I don't think there is anything to fix but well not I just don't know how you would fix it um I don't I think the story's too tight but I I hear it I personally don't think Underground has a colorism problem. I think there's a difference between a show having a colorism problem and a show exploring the nature of colorism, which I think Underground does the latter. Underground makes it very clear that that Ernestine is biracial and that her daughter and her son, her youngest son, are considered to be, quote, a quarter black. And why this why this and their relationship directly to white men, whether it be father or master, is responsible for their position and any presumed privilege that they might have over other slaves. It doesn't paint all biracial slaves as being the same complexion. We saw that with Pearlie May, who has the same father as Susanna Megan. Um, And with the DeWanda Wise character, we also got to see these uh these interactions of these uh, slave owners with monoracial black women um like we have to be critical of the fact that colorism was directly created by and inspired by slavery and colonialism you cannot have a show about slavery where this hierarchy is not explored and exposed like i don't know how you can do it are we really trying to say that someone like um like, uh, I don't know who else, uh, the, the character in the beginning, for example, who drowned her baby after giving birth to her baby so that they wouldn't grow up slaves. Would she have made the same decision if she was a house slave like Ernestine and that child's master, uh, that child's father was the master? No, she wouldn't have. Well, <laughs> two things can be true at once. I do agree that like it, it, the show is talking about colorism and it's, it, it is exploring the nature of that. But also the optics don't look good. Like when you're too, when you're, when you have a limited, when you have limited female, well, when you have limited female characters, which I mean, I guess like, well, no, I guess it's like half and half, but then you're the two, 
because Elizabeth is like a is a lead, right? She's main cast and she's a white woman. But then the rest of your female characters who have the bulk of the meat of the story, who have the most lines, who are like the most um, fleshed out and clinically drawn are all like biracial. That doesn't look good. The optics just aren't good. Whether or not like, regardless of everything else it, it it's not it's not it's not a good look so that's yeah, i'll so, give you that so i would have liked a character like i would have liked a character like clara or just another uh fleshed out uh monoracial character in season one i'll definitely give you that um or maybe even a character like boo who's not a little girl but maybe a teenager would have would have uh helped remedy the situation um, or my personal, uh, belief is that the Georgia character shouldn't have been there. The white passing woman, Georgia, she was annoying on many, many levels, but I think specifically she should have been replaced with a free black woman abolitionist because they existed, they were real. And that would have helped the optics of the show tremendously. Yeah. It's just like, it's, and that's why I say, like, I see, I see the, I see where they're coming from in that aspect. It's just the optics don't look good. Um, and they aren't good in, in that respect. Uh, because it's one thing to like, say what you're saying and like, you're, um, and you're totally right. Like it's one, and in terms of like DeWanda Wise's character of like, understanding that like she's not considered desirable or she's not like on the high end of this like sort of constructed like this constructed ideal of desirability but like hold on I've gotten lost in my words trying to be like super like sensitive trying to be like (laughs) sensitive but um like it doesn't I've lost it, but I'm just saying it doesn't look good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, And I, and I hear that criticism and I understand it. And I think it's a fair one. Um, I mean, like I said, if this character hadn't existed and we didn't have, um, that specific dynamic between her and the master, because, you know, she is, she does have insecurities about her complexion, particularly within black with among black people. Right. It's Ernestine that tells her like, this is an, intraracial issue your your complexion it's not an issue with these slave owners um in fact they'll probably fetishize you more because you're darker um um that character and that that dynamic was great but the harriet tubman character for example is a is a recurring character not even a real full supporting character like elizabeth hawks right which is kind of ridiculous by the way uh, i mean Yes and no. I think because she is such a huge historical figure, if she had been a main character, it would have overshadowed the Macon Seven. But I think, like I said, Georgia, if we had made her a monoracial Black woman abolitionist, could have done so much to turn the tide, right? Show us this monoracial woman character. Give her breath. Give her scope. Um and 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 show us a black woman in that particular position um would have been would have gone such a long way. I don't feel like we needed a white passing woman when we already had a white woman. <laughs> like, right. Why? Why? Um but whatever. Um Georgia was my my honestly my biggest gripe with the casting is the Georgia character. I felt she was superfluous at best. Yeah, I think you know, it sort of felt like they wanted to think about this idea of like passing 
uh, like just the idea of it because it is like sort of a weird heady thing um it, how it plays out but they didn't really have anything but but it's like they couldn't like but they didn't really have anything for her to do let, do that wasn't going to fuck up the rest of the narrative. You know what I mean? Um, right. And she's super annoying, too, with how she manages her passing. Like, Elizabeth is like, listen, I'm white. I know these white people. We can't sweet talk them into abolition. We need these guns. And she's like, you won't bring violence into my house. And I'm like, sis, are you high? Yeah, like I said, it just, it just sort of felt like they had a lot of ideas going at once in that character, and they didn't know quite how to, and like they just couldn't quite execute properly. Um, it's and it's also, and I think it's also like one of those things that I think we had talked about with Kathleen. It's like people sometimes people try to put like big ideas and like a character and arc when in reality that idea could be like the whole basis for its own series. Or, like, right. its own sort of thing. And, like, you can't really just shove those ideas in, like, one thing. Because it, it's so big. You have to really let that idea be big. Like, you have to let that idea breathe. You have to make it the basis of your whole your whole thing, whatever you're doing. That doesn't right. make any sense, what I just said, but okay. No, it does. It does. <laughs> like I said, I felt that character was superfluous. Um, specifically for the reason where, as we were talking about, the optics don't look good. You can give us a legitimate reason why characters like Ernestine and Rosalie were needed. We don't have a legitimate reason why a white passing character like Georgia was needed. Georgia was super annoying. She was super superfluous. The optics were bad from a colorism standpoint. Yeah, I really should have left Jessica Nicole on Scandal. I said what I said. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, but and not only that, I felt like the this storyline took up way too much energy in the overall narrative of season two. And what I mean by that is as soon as Elizabeth leaves Jessica, the last we see of of Jessica of Elizabeth before you know season two closes and we never get that next season is that Elizabeth is actually doing the work. She's not just sitting up in her house, hosting parties and giving speeches on abolition. She's and raising awareness. <laughs> right. And quote unquote, raising awareness. Raising awareness. Like her man was shot over this. Like, like uh, John Hawks is assassinated in the beginning of season two, right? She's a widow right. now. She's about that action. She's doing the work. The last we see of Elizabeth, she is literally fucking a Confederate soldier to get information. <laughs> right, oh, right. No one. <laughs> so the so season two closes with uh, Rosalie and James are are reunited, and it's it's funny. Like Rosalie's like, "I'm we're gonna get free," and James is like, "Oh, honey, I'm already free." Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they told you. James was such a get out moment, dude. She brainwashed that kid so thoroughly in only a few months. Like, where's the fucking loyalty, James? <laughs> Rosalie is like, and Rosalie is uh, appropriately horrified. And she's like, okay, so no, like, we're not going to do this. Um, but so she, and so she plans on, so she, you know, concocts a plan for them to, to get out. Oh, look at it. We're coming with the zingers today. <laughs> Uh, she concocts a plan for them to get out and um and it all goes awry because uh the baby is being born you know her and noah's child together that they 
because uh, they are the main romantic couple, if that wasn't obvious uh, from the start of this conversation. They, she, she, she births her child, so uh, that sort of gets in the way. And while she is uh, being born, Noah is it, himself in a shootout with uh, slave catchers, uh, leading his own sort of group to freedom, along with our nice white lady, Elizabeth. It And like you said, it's clear that they thought they were going to get a third season because it all ends on these big cliffhangers. But right. uh, with, a, with a jump in time, well, it ends on these big cliffhangers and then we get like a time jump to the Civil War and we see that, yes, Elizabeth is um, a spy, is a, is a Northern spy and sleeping with a Confederate soldier in order to get information. And... Um, and that's how it ends. Yeah, it ends on a big cliffhanger. So season two is is another, I think, really strong, really great, excellent season. Um, Absolutely. Like, I honestly, like, I told you guys how I felt about Cato setting the, the plantation on fire. Well, <laughs> our girl Rosalie takes a page from his books and, like, literally burns the house to the ground. Underground was canceled. It was canceled... Um, and it was canceled because Sinclair, which is a very notorious conservative, like alt-right, ultra-right wing company, ended up buying a bunch of these local channels, which WGN America was a part of. And, uh, they specifically, and I did go back and, and look at this, um, uh, this like press release from when they canceled underground and they do say that like uh, the president was like underground just doesn't fit with like the direction we're going with as a network. But uh, none of the shows did really, they canceled underground, they canceled Salem outsiders also got canceled uh, outsiders being about poor white people. So yeah, I'm sure they, they were not happy about that either. And it's such uh, a mealy mouth way of saying we have no taste. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and uh, people were upset. Um, I think people wanted OWN to pick it up. OWN didn't want to pick it up. People wanted BET to pick it up. BET didn't pick it up. In BET's defense, I don't think BET had the money to do a series like this, to be perfectly honest. They, yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I'm, I'm side-eyeing the OWN network, and I'm side-eyeing Netflix, but I know BET is broke on the Lolo. <laughs> yeah, um, when con- when, I think when the news about Confederate came down originally, people wanted HBO to pick this up instead. It's like, if you're going to throw all this money at Confederate, why not just pick up Underground instead, which would be the better show? Because right. those kids from Game of Thrones don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like they don't. They don't. They don't. And I mean, and, and honestly, underground, I'm sure production-wise, it costs a lot of money, but there were places where they also saved a lot of money because for the most part, the show was filmed on location. It was filmed between Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Savannah, Georgia. So it's not like you're like creating these like ridiculous sets, right? Um, there's right. still historical plantations in all of these areas. There's swamps and forests in all of these areas. You're only doing so much work in regards of paying the, the cast and crew. And of course, um, I'm sure a lot of money went into the wardrobe department. This is a period piece after all. Um, right. 
But like you said, Sinclair Broadcasting Group bought out Tribune Media, which WGN was a part of. And that's why Underground got canceled. It's not fair. It's not right. But um, for the most part, I guess it's okay because Aldous Hodge is still booked and busy. Journey Smollett Bell is still booked and busy. Amira Van is still booked and busy. But you need to scoop up the rest of the cast. Don't let these people linger because there was so much talent in Underground. Like, just... Like, just go through the whole show. Even the boy who plays T.R. Macon, Tom Macon's white son, like, the 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 few moments we had on screen, there's talent overflowing in, 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 in the entire cast. The children, the adults, you name it. Um, I feel like this show really didn't get its due. And I don't want to say that I want a remake, because I don't think they would probably remake it the same. One of I the things want it under- to continue. Right, I just wanted to continue. Y'all can bring back the cast; they haven't aged that much. <laughs> or yeah, hell, jump I, it three, jump it three, four years, and tell us it's three, four years in the future. It's fine. I would be even chill with like a like a limited series, like a like a two hour limited series, just like to wrap everything up. Like, give me. It looks even better in the light because, like, that's not like proper whatever, but. <laughs> It looks worse. (laughs) Um, It looks worse than the light because it got canceled around the same time that like Charlottesville happened. So it's like, I mean, even from a PR standpoint, you think somebody would have done something. But this was a show that made me like, I mean, Misha Green previously had written on Sons of Anarchy, which, you know, we love. Um, This was her first outing as like a creator and a showrunner. And she killed it. Um, this was, I think, one of the first big things to come out of John Legend's company, Get Lifted, um, mm-hmm. which was excellent. Uh, the music supervisor on this show, by the way, is so good. Like, it's so good. Um, it's Raphael so... Sadiq. I know, of course. <laughs> 90s <of> course. legend. <laughs> Who else? Who else? I mean, he's Raphael Sadiq is so booked and busy in terms of, like, his music supervising. Um if I was any of these people, I would consider it a triumph, no matter what. And particularly Misha Green, who then went off to have, like, you know, another big hit in Lovecraft Country. Granted, I think there are a lot of things, a lot of problems with that show. But, um... I have, I, I, that's really problematic. I'm sorry, you guys. So problematic. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of problems, but it's, it's still another undeniable commercial success for her. So, I mean... I yeah. So um shout out to her. They definitely knew where they were going though. We see the cohesiveness in Underground. And I think that's largely because the creators, Misha Green and Joe Pekaski, co-wrote the bulk of the episodes, like 80% of the episodes. And it shows. It shows. There's a there is a focus. That's it's very focused. It's like even from the beginning, it's it's very focused, which I think is rare in a first season. Um, and we talk about that. Like, it's first season is usually you're, you're, you're trying to figure out shit. But, like, it first season does feel very focused. And that's, that's it, it just shows. And, and she's great. I wish we could have spent a little bit more time on the road plantation just to get more of what, what steps Claire was going to take next. But, um... I feel like we were supposed to see her again sometime in season, the season, third season that never happened. So I'll let it ride. Yeah.
have it, folks. This is everything that we think made Underground good, bad, basic, and thoroughly engaging. If you'd like to check out the series, Underground is currently streaming on Hulu. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Underground Spotify playlist. It's a really good one. Oh my god, so many great like R&B and like soul and like hip hop and like like songs off that show. Really, really great. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week as we keep the historical drama season going with a recap of the intriguing Elizabethan period drama, The Tudors. The Tudors is currently streaming on Netflix, so be sure to get into this series or go refresh your memory. You don't want to miss out on this conversation. Um, I just want to point out really quickly that you got money, Hulu. Continue underground. Um, anyway. <laughs> you got money. <laughs> you got money now because I know those subscription costs have gone way up. Um, and you, you're you making people pay for live now too. So you got money. Uh, follow the good, the bad, the basic. Um, we're currently streaming on all major podcast platforms so that you can listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. You can find us at the good, bad, basic on Twitter and at good, bad, basic pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, the good, the bad, the basic, where all of our weekly episodes debut first. If you love this sort of content and want more, Become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.